0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mejita Talks. I am so excited about our guest today. We are very honored to have Ms. Kelly McDonald with us. Kelly's not only the CEO of McDonald Marketing, she's also the author of four best-selling business books, and she was named one of the 10 most book speakers in the U.S. So welcome, Kelly. Thank you so much for taking some time for us
1: today. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for
0: having me. Well, I have to say that I've attended quite a few MHEDA conferences in my day, and I've had the pleasure of hearing you speak at a few of them. Uh, so I've been really looking forward to this conversation today. We're going to touch on diversity and inclusion, also get to know you a little bit better. Um, I'm really passionate about this topic. And like I said, I've heard you talk about it, and I'm excited for some of our other members to hear it from your perspective.
1: Um, Great. So we want to-
0: jump right in, I actually started reading your new book, um, It's Time to Talk About Race at Work. So perfect <laughs> placement, I like the product placement. I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about maybe the concept of your book and why you chose to write that now.
1: Uh, thanks, that's a great question. Um, the concept was, I've been writing about diversity for the last 10 years in in the terms of marketing to diverse groups, customer experience and leadership. And then what i realized was you know society changes and we don't just stay the same and and what was happening was every organization is trying to do better and be better that's how i would put it and so um as companies realize like we can do better in this area like we're not bad but we can do better and we want to be better so what are the steps that we need to take to tackle this subject and it's not just race the word race is in the title but the whole book is more about diversity in terms of any way you can be different from me okay so um, it could be age it could be gen- you know it can be generational it can be race it could be ethnicity it could be gender it could be LGBTQ so you know just a broad um, a, a broad section like that but I really wanted to show business people the how-to I mean like step by step it's almost a manual of okay, well, where do I begin when I don't know where to begin? How do I actually get my arms around this? Because it's a big topic. And for most people, it's a really scary topic. I mean, so many people that I've talked to have said, I am so afraid of saying the wrong thing or having what I say be taken the wrong way that I'm not gonna say anything. And I don't think that's good for business. I really believe that no matter what, We have to talk about the difficult uh subjects and topics whether they're about product development or whether they're about you know marketing or or whether it's about employees and trying to do better and be better so this actually takes the reader through you know literally step one step two step three and there's even scripts in the book that say here's how to say this you know and and here's or here's not to don't say this and here's why So I found it to be just something that was very timely as people are trying to do better and be better, but they don't know how to begin and they wanna do the right thing.
0: Yeah, and I think that's so many great points in that, especially about the guide of having that conversation. Now, because I I do think most people are well-intended. Yes. But they're also a little bit fearful of of saying the wrong thing, as you said. So I think having some type of guide to help you with that, because some people just don't know what they don't know. And
1: it's not even that they're saying something like racist or sexist. It can just be something that's clunky. Like one of the things I talk about in the book is never, ever, ever say these two words. Never say you people or those people. And so because it creates an otherness. And so, you know, you don't ask someone. So what do you people eat at Hanukkah? better way to ask that same thing and it's literally in the book a better way to ask that same question and so saying what do you people eat at Hanukkah is not only very off-putting but it's very clunky I mean it just someone could be very well intended but that just comes out all wrong so the better way to say it is what are the traditional foods served at Hanukkah and tell me how your family celebrates you know something like that so it's about understanding how the words that we use can actually create a barrier between people instead of coming together.
0: Right. And sometimes it's just a word or two change and how you say something that changes the whole conversation. So I think that's great. You know, when we talk about diversity, I love that you brought up that diversity number one is not just race. You know, it's a whole myriad of other things, including race, but also including gender, religion, and, and different categories in our lives. And here's Um, a new
1: one, not to interrupt you, but here's a new one that is getting a lot of traction. And I just want your listeners and your viewers to know this is neurodiversity. Neurodiversity is um, a word that refers to people who who are on the autism spectrum. And so if you're working with someone who is high functioning, Asperger or something, they may be very different from you. And that has nothing to do with race. Right. Uh, And I hadn't heard that one
0: before. Thank you for sharing that when sometimes I think when we talk about diversity at work, a lot of the conversations that I've been a part of, at least people come back with, well, it's not that we don't hire certain types of people or we're not trying to be diverse. We just hire whoever the best candidate for
1: the job is.
0: So why do you think diversity is so important, especially in the workplace?
1: Well, it's been proven, proven, over and over and over again by virtually well every study that's ever been done on stacking up the performance of a diverse team against a non-diverse team and the diverse team outperforms the non-diverse team on every measure every not just sales profit customer loyalty customer satisfaction uh, employee engagement but even things like employee absenteeism is reduced and what it does is it brings out the best in a team and I also think that a key reason why it's important that diversity is for business because we're not, we're not about holding hands here and singing kubaya, this is business. So nobody ever does anything in business because it just feels good. You know, I mean, it's because it drives business forward and it's good for the company and it's good for the employees, but it's also a competitive edge because when you have a diverse team, you're more likely to attract very well, highly qualified, diverse talent Who feel like okay this is a company that i can get ahead in i can look around and see that there's a diverse team here and you have something then that your competitors don't and that makes you a more progressive company and you are going to always win against your competitors if they don't have a diverse team and you do and again that diversity could be gender you know more women it could be uh, different age groups it could be different experiences and backgrounds you know sometimes it takes somebody from outside the industry to look at an organization and work within an organization and say what if or how you know what about this so that's why so many ceos who have maybe were in like the retail industry get picked up to be the ceo of an airline You know, those two businesses are completely different or industries are completely different. But the idea is that those fresh eyes, as well as their qualifications, actually move the business forward.
0: Agreed. And I I think just to expound on that point a little bit further, I've been in the material handling industry for the last 20 years. And, you know, when I started in industry, it was all middle-aged white men, pretty much. Yep. But the customer base and the people that were purchasing were also mostly middle-aged white men. And I think we've seen this shift in this industry, especially that the companies may not, the material handling companies aren't changing at the rate in which their customers are exactly. changing. And I think that goes back to your point of competitive advantage. You need yeah. to keep your diversity up to speed with the people that you are selling to, because ultimately you'll be more successful.
1: Not only the people that you're selling to, you bring up an excellent point. You always want to make sure that you're in tune with your customers, but you also want to be in tune with your community. And so if your community demographics are changing, then you don't really represent the community or look like you're plugged into the community if you look very different than what the community as a whole looks like. There's a wealth of opportunity there in any community these days to tap into diverse teams and diverse candidates.
0: Absolutely. So what do you believe are some of the costs and risks associated with companies that
1: lack in diversity? Well, number, again, number one, they're gonna lose a competitive edge uh, they're, or, or, they don't, or they never had it. And as more and more companies move forward on DE&I, those that don't are going to actually look like dinosaurs and they're not gonna attract the best people, they're not gonna attract Uh, Even the best customers, because again, in the spirit of wanting to do better and be better, customers are looking for that too. You know, um, they're looking for the suppliers and the people and the companies and organizations that they can do business with that represent their values too. And um, I think another risk is literally losing ground on sales, profit, and innovation. So, those are business words. Again, it's not kumbaya it is about sales profit and innovation diversity is the bedrock of innovation and i don't again necessarily mean just race one diversity of thought is the bedrock of innovation so it is about that person who's going what if we did this or you know what if we tried this and if nobody's ever doing that because companies are just staying the same and hey that is especially true if you're successful why would we change anything we're doing well and that may be for right now, but that will not carry you into the future. So when you have a diverse team, you have that diversity of thought and that leads to innovation and the more engaged workforce, better sales, better profit. It's a no-brainer.
0: no brainer. In your book, you talk a little bit about diversity blind spots. I was wondering if you could go into a little bit deeper into what you mean by that.
1: Yeah, um, all of us, first of all, have blind spots. Every one of us, It doesn't make you a bad person we all have that Um, some organizations call it unconscious bias i'm a little bit moving away from that term these days because it sounds very much like human resources and some of the stuff in the past used to be kind of like a lecture or a scolding and um, we all have we all have our blind spots so let me give you an example of what a blind spot could be and how to and how to overcome it stop picturing your candidates. Okay, so let's say you've got an open position at your organization. And you have a picture in your mind of what that ideal candidate would look like. So let's just take, for example, a truck driver. There's a truck driving company and they have an open position for a truck driver. So as they're writing their recruiting ad and putting it out there, in their minds when they picture a truck driver, they picture a 50-year-old man with 20 to 25 years of experience, and they kind of picture what he looks like. So, what if at the interview, a 35 year old woman shows up for that interview, and she's highly qualified? She has an excellent track record, 100% safety. She doesn't jibe with what the pictured candidate looks like. And so, it's very easy to dismiss someone like that because we don't think that that's what we want or we never considered someone like that. That would be a blind spot. The other thing that is uh, also in my book, it's a, it's a study that was done by Yale. This one actually makes the hair on my ba- the back of my neck stand up. It's just like horrifying. That people will actually change their criteria of a job to meet the qualifications of the person that they wanted to hire all along. So let me give you a really quick example. They did a, a study with a hypothetical town and there was a hypothetical police department in this town with an opening for the police chief and they had two hypothetical candidates Michael and Michelle so by those names it's pretty much obvious that Michael's a guy and Michelle is a woman and their resumes were identical okay identical except for one thing Michael's resume showed that he had more street smarts and Michelle's resume showed that she had more formal education. Other than that, they were identical. When the evaluators chose Michael, that's who they made their decision on. We're going to hire Michael as the police chief. When asked afterwards, why did you hire Michael? They said, well, because a police chief really needs street smarts. Okay, I'll buy that. But then they switched the names on the resumes. So now Michelle has more street smarts, and Michael has more formal education. Once again... They hired Michael and once again when asked why did you hire Michael they said well a police chief really needs to have more formal education the bottom line is their blind spot was they pictured a guy in that role and they were willing to change the job criteria to fit the candidate I mean that's crazy a job job criteria is job criteria right you either have these skills or you don't or whatever and so that was a really eye-opening study for me is like, it's one thing to sort of picture your candidate and be biased toward that, et cetera, but it's another thing to actually actively change the requirements. Now, of course, this is all happening on an unconscious basis. They're not going, huh, we don't like the girl. You know, we don't like, we don't like the woman. We don't like the, the female candidate. They're, no, they're just gravitating toward the guy and then they're justifying it after the fact saying, well, he had more street smarts or formal education. But that's the danger of a blind spot, is that you can actually hire the wrong person, promote somebody who's not ready because you like them or favor them. And studies have shown that you will even side with them in a meeting if there's a discussion about something and people have different opinions. You tend to side with the person, excuse me, with the person that you connect with better. Well, that's crazy. We should we should side with whatever our brains are telling us to side with, not just because I'm your friend, you know? So it's very dangerous to have those blind spots in business and we all have them, but that's why we have to work toward eradicating them and try to approach recruiting and, you know, employee advancement with clarity and, you know, an unbiased approach.
0: Yeah. And I love that you bring up those studies. And I had read some of those studies in the past, and I found myself after I really read the study because I do the same thing. Um, I'm writing a, a job description for a field service technician, right. and in my head, I'm writing it for a man. And I have a young daughter; she's 10 now. And um, when I started my own company a few years ago, she had asked me, you know, can can boys start their own company too, or do really only girls start that? And uh, you know, most people would never. Say that because she's grown up in an environment where gender roles have been a little bit different, and we talk a lot about gender roles. Yeah. You know, it's so amazing that at her age, even that she has, can boys run their own company? <laughs> right. Whereas for, at my age, in my 40s, if people talk about their
1: boss, I still automatically envision their boss as being a man. Yep. Yeah. And another way that, um, that, that bias and that blind spot can show up is in little teeny words that end up in a job description like must have three to five years of experience you see that all the time what if someone has seven years of experience you've just you just cut them out right because you mm-hmm. said must have three to five and so the person who has six or seven or eight years of experience might say well I, I guess they don't want me because they don't want to pay that much or whatever why wouldn't you rephrase that to say must have a minimum of three years of experience. And that opens the net wider, and that's how we get around the the blind spots and stuff because there's great people out there and you don't want to put a cap on it, you know? Or here's another one. I've seen job descriptions. This is actually kind of going away a little bit, but I've still seen it where it will say, must be clean shaven. Okay, but that right away rules out women. And right. it rules out people of, whose faith requires them to have facial hair. So why not change that must be clean shaven to must have a neat and tidy appearance. It,
0: it's such a great point. And I think the more we talk about it, even for myself, I'm aware of it, but I still do a lot of those things. But the <laughs> more I talk about it, you know, trying to change those behaviors, I think is good for everyone. Yeah. Um, so in the beginning, we talked a little bit about material handling and the industry itself, not historically being very diverse. I think it's getting better, um, maybe at a slower pace than some other yeah. industries. But these are companies that a lot of them are homegrown, you know, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, have a long, rich history. And change is, is difficult in any organization, and especially those that have been around a long time. And looking at diversity and material handling, I think it's hard to maybe start some of those conversations sometimes and to maybe start an initiative to start planning for diversity. What tips could you give people in this space to maybe even at least just start having those conversations as a jump off point?
1: Well, that's exactly where it starts is you don't just launch something with your employees and go, okay, here's what we're doing and everybody needs to get on board with this. It's too abrupt. It's too many questions unanswered. It's too much confusion. I think the best approach is to actually start with a sincere and honest conversation that says we are not as diverse as we could be. And we need to change that. We need to start working on that. And we're going to need everyone's help to do this. And here's why we're doing this. And I've never perhaps uh, talked about this at work. I'm a little clunky. I hope you'll bear with me. And I imagine that this might be a little uncomfortable for you too. You have to name the elephant in the room if you're saying, like, we're going to diversify our, our workforce. It needs everybody pulling together. It's not just the CEO's job, it's not just HR's job, it's everybody's. But that meeting is a sign of respect for your employees as well, which is, let me share what we intend to do and why and answer your questions and then we are going to create a program that's going to move us you know down the road and toward the goal line on that but employees if they're not respectfully communicated with here's what happens you get the guy or the woman in the hallways who goes nobody asked me about that you know and and they become the naysayers and the derailers and what I call diversity skeptics or diversity rejectors, And that, is, that becomes like a cancer within an organization. You can't do much if you don't, if people don't understand why. And the understanding of why is what creates that, oh, okay, all right, I guess this is where we're going. Okay, so now I get it. Mm-hmm. You still might have diversity skeptics or diversity resistors, but here's how I would handle that. I would suggest that you handle that the same way that you handle any other part of your business. Every business has all kinds of strategies and decisions that are made about strategy, marketing, products, pricing, territories, you name it. And an employee might not agree, let's say, with the marketing. They think it's stupid or they think it misses the mark. Well, you work for this company. And while you're entitled to your opinion, if you work here, you are expected to support the strategy. And so you know, because I've had clients that have said, well, we had a a launch, we need to talk about this. And some of the employees were, you know, literally like this and just, you know, and I think it's important to say, you may not agree with the strategy, but if you work here, you're expected to support the strategy, nonetheless.
0: Mm -hmm. Agreed. And I think it takes a repetitiveness to it, you know, especially for new concepts, it can't be a one and done you know, town hall meeting, and then you never talk about it again, and it has to be a consistent topic. And
1: you have to celebrate the successes that you have. In fact, your one and done is what I call launch and abandon. There's almost nothing worse, where you launch a big initiative, and then nobody ever hears anything more about it. They don't know how it's going. They don't feel part of it. So, you know, that consistent conversation, and two examples that I'll give you is in my lifetime, two big seismic shifts changed business forever in my lifetime. One was technology, the other one was social media. Okay so those were big things when they they happened. We're like oh my gosh we have computers now or oh my gosh we have you know we're building websites and social media and stuff. Now they are part of the ongoing fabric of business. We didn't just talk Mm -hmm. about them then and then go okay we're never going to talk about these again. Every strategy, every initiative, is blended in with what's the technology that supports that, how are we going to promote this on social media, how are we going to communicate with our customers and our prospects, and this diversity, equity, and inclusion has to be looked at the same way. This is not a fad, it's a trend. The difference between a fad and a trend is fads come and go, like fashion. Trends don't come and go, they're shifts, and once they shift, they don't shift back. So understand that the the conversations that you're having at your organization or want to have are not gonna go away. I mean, it's not just that one and done that you referenced. It is an ongoing part of the fabric of business. And I imagine that 10 years from now, we're gonna look back on these conversations and go, oh my gosh, we've come so far. You know, It's gonna seem silly or clunky or whatever because that was the same way with technology and social media, but we're gonna learn as we go and we're gonna publish and we're gonna move forward.
0: yeah i totally agree um switching gears a little bit we talked about in the beginning how having a more diverse workforce can help the company in a lot of different ways and i think one of those ways is also from a recruiting talent perspective the more diverse your company is the easier it should be to diverse talent you know as everyone else in the labor market today everyone's looking for somebody you know everybody's trying to fill positions they can't fill and i think looking towards diversity might help fill that talent pipeline in some ways how would you recommend that people look to proactively source candidates for maybe underrepresented communities within the
1: organization well you actually hit uh, the nail on the head when you said if people are looking for people right if organizations are looking for people There's a whole group of people, I promise you out there, that you've never even tapped into. So you can't say there's no people, we can't find anybody, if you haven't looked everywhere. Um, What I would do in those those cases is look at your community and see how it's changed, because I promise you it doesn't look the same as it did 10 years ago, and 10 years from now it's not going to look like it looks now. And start making inroads in the community, and it could be as simple as going to the YMCA, or a black church or a hispanic church where mass is conducted in spanish on sundays and introducing yourself to people in the community and saying we are not as diverse as we need to be and we're trying to change that i wanted to introduce myself to you because at the xyz organization you know that i'm with or whatever we have great jobs for great people and we are always looking for great talent and i wanted to get the word out And I was wondering if I can leave these flyers here or you will be welcomed with open arms in any community if you talk about jobs. So it's not about going and saying, hey, give me some Hispanic people or what. I mean, it's not that. That's I mean, mean, seriously, that sounds like, you know, so awful. But it's more about we're not as diverse as we need to be. And we know that and we're trying to change that. And so I'm just trying to get the word out throughout the community, because we want people to know that we have good jobs that lead to great careers, long lasting careers. And I just want to leave some information with you. I wanted to introduce myself. I wanted to introduce my company. And number one, you're going to form, um, you know, new networks. But number two, you're going to actually be seen as that progressive company that is reaching out to the community, not just putting an ad, you know, on, uh, you know online or something like that that you're actually putting what I call feet on the street and I think that's really important I
0: think you know, we're we tend to be too reliant
1: sometimes on the digital
0: communication especially in recruiting and marketing um, And having sometimes that you have to kick it old school you have to go back and you know go out there and be a part of the community and have actual real conversations with real people
1: And if any of your organizations and members organizations have positions that no experience is required, that you'll train, entry-level positions. Talk to schools because the job of teachers these days should be to teach, but really more and more there's pressure on those teachers to make their students employable immediately after graduating from high school. And in my opinion, when someone goes to high school, they have sort of three avenues after high school graduation. One is to go to the armed forces, one is to go to college or junior college or ongoing education, and one is to go to work. And there are a lot of people who are not gonna go on to college, who are not gonna go into the armed forces, but if you talk to schools and say, again, we have great jobs, we have jobs that lead to long careers, and this is the kind of profession that we have, the kind of money that can be made, here are the opportunities, who can we talk to? That is you know within your student body that are the best and brightest, you will be welcomed with open arms, and again, if your company is willing to train and most companies are it's about building your bench you know you don't just go and have like all, all of a sudden a high level senior v p so it's about building your bench it's a long term change
0: I totally agree, I think those are great points
1: um Kelly, you have made it
0: to our lightning round at mehida.tops. <laughs> I don't know if you're ready. ready for this. Okay, I'm ready. But I, I think you're you're ready for this. So I got 10 questions for you. Um, and we're just looking for whatever answer comes to your head first. I promise I made these. I tried to make them as appropriate as possible. <laughs> um, I like to start with the easy ones. I think great writers read great books. So I would love to know what your favorite book is. Of all time, of all time, to kill a mockingbird. If you could win an Olympic medal for any sport, real or fake, what would it be? Boxing, not ki- not kickboxing, boxing, boxing. Legit, boxing, legit boxing,
1: legit boxing.
0: What was the first concert you attended? speed Speedwagon. Wow, <laughs> I thought they still tour. Do they still tour? Um what's one thing about you that
1: surprises people? That I'm an introverted extrovert. So that means that I have the personality that is like real bubbly and everybody thinks I'm an extrovert, but the way that I recharge my battery is by being alone and that's really important to me. So that personality type is called an extroverted introvert or an introverted extrovert or something like that. And uh, it's very important for me that when I give away a lot of energy, that I that I recharge by being alone. And when I'm doing speaking engagements, that's what the flight home is. The flight home is just, you know, recharging.
0: Would you rather cuddle with a baby panda or a baby penguin? Oh, I think the penguin. Not I, quite I I as fun, but I can see the, the penguin. I'll take either Are, one, but
1: I'll go with penguin.
0: What's your favorite carb, bread, pasta, rice, or potatoes? sweet potatoes specifically no doubt i can eat sweet potatoes all day long would you rather be besties with beyonce or rihanna ooh i'm gonna go with beyonce
1: just because she's the queen i have I mean, to i would have to agree with you i think the yeah, queen. yeah there's just been. no more successful woman in the music business she's an icon you know so why would you want to hang out with the most successful woman in the business <laughs>
0: would you eat a one day old taquito from 7-eleven absolutely not <laughs> i mean everything though. um what, other than the taquito what's
1: something you could eat for a week straight i eat chocolate every single day and i have two specific kinds hershey's nuggets with almonds and dove milk chocolates i have them here in my office at all times and i eat them every day. My habit is to actually eat them after dinner when I'm watching TV. And I have like three of each. So like six pieces of candy. And I could eat that all day, every day. <laughs> I'm a well, I'm a milk chocolate freak.
0: You have a high level of self-control then if you can just eat the six pieces. Yeah it I veer <laughs> off once in a while. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, And then finally, who would you say
1: inspires you? Who inspires me? I think it's the people in every community, the everyday people, not necessarily leaders or celebrities, the everyday people who are helping. You know, it's like, to me, it's like, if you want to look for the good people, look for who's helping with whatever, whatever kind of help, a disaster effort or their community. Those are the people who inspire me, they give back.
0: I love that, that's so great. Um, well, Kelly, we've uh, sadly, we've come to the end of our podcast today. Um, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Do you have
1: any parting words for our members? The only parting words are that thank you for watching this podcast and the fact that you have tells me something about you. And that that is that you're paying attention to the shifting trends around you and go forth and do better and be better. And where can we find your book?
0: I you know, I saw you on Amazon.
1: It's wherever books are sold, so Barnes and Noble, barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, wherever books are sold. It's a top-selling uh business book bestseller. It's everywhere. Right my goal is I started it. I'm going
0: to finish it by the end of the week. So thank you again, Kelly, for spending some time with us. Thank you all for listening. I'm Sherry Alterga and I've been your host today. We'll see you next time. Thank Thank you. you.
1: Thanks.